Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast, supported by Lecolte with Benji Nyson for the Giro d'Italia Stage 9 recap. This, in my view, has been the most exciting and impactful stage of the Giro d'Italia so far and likely will be during this first week. The stage was 158Ks, not that long, from Castel di Sangro to Campo Felice, 3,500 metres of climbing and barely any flat throughout this stage. False flat. Maybe between some of the climbs, they've got 14Ks, 4%, 11Ks, 4%, 12Ks, 4.5%, 12.5Ks, 5%, then a ridge line for about 20 kilometers, maybe a bit less, and then 6Ks at 5.7% to Rocca de Cambio with a gravel sector at the end. 1.5Ks, steep pinches, it's a nasty finish. We thought it would suit someone like Dan Martin, Ciccone, or Egan Bernal. The other climbs are not so steep, so would suit riders like Moscon, Narvaez, uh, Ghana, and Castroviejo. Attila Volta went into the stage with a narrow lead, Damalia Rosa. It would be a tough ask for the young Hungarian to keep that jersey, and the fiercest battle for the breakaway broke out at the start of this stage, Benji. Yes, a lot of uh, breakaway battles. And it's just because we start with an uphill section that is fairly large in a shorter stage. said it quite a few times how that works in a, on this podcast before. This allows for larger groups to get away and it allows for, well, the gap between the rider that rides away and the peloton is limited because it's an uphill section. And because of that, a lot of riders try to bridge that gap towards the break. And that's why they keep on going with that. We saw that a lot today because, well, I don't think we saw a breakaway on the first section, the first climb. Then we had that small descent. Then on the second climbing section, we still had people trying to form breakaways. We had quite a few interesting moves. One of the most interesting ones to me personally was one where Mohoric was in the breakaway. Then we saw Chino Mader going in there as well, Caruso, but also a rider from Ineos, and that is Danny Martinez. And I'd like to show it to you for kind of giving an explanation to why putting Danny Martinez in a breakaway in Ineos terms, is a very, very clever move. Well, it forces teams like Quickstep and all the other GC teams really to start panicking because Martinez is a legitimate GC threat, not a man you want to be giving eight minutes or eight minutes a bit much, but any time, really. He's a legit, legit GC threat. He's like, at like 55 seconds. He won Criterium to Dauphiné last year, serious climber. You don't know how good he'll be in that third week. I mean, we've never seen him do it all for all three weeks, but you, you don't know with a young, talented Colombian climber. So great move from Ineos. Um, but then they eventually, uh, I thought Ineos started to shut it down. That got shut down by UAE. Uh, Benji and I don't really know why UAE took it upon themselves to shut it down, perhaps protecting Formolo's GC. I would have made mm. Quickstep do it but yeah why do you think was it just they didn't have a Ulysses up there or something correct they didn't have a rider up there and Ulysses was very eager to be in the breakaway today we saw that with him trying a few times and then missing out on the decisive one and we saw that Molano a sprinter so it wasn't really that bad to use him at that point he was still there and he actually did a hell of a job trying to reduce the gap so that Ulysses could make a move and that's exactly what happened Ulysses made that move and eventually got into a, a newer breakaway afterwards but so many breakaways formed today, and eventually it all came down to a breakaway with not necessarily the riders that, well, some riders that we were expecting, like Bauke Molema, for example. And But let's talk about why Simon this happened, Carr. Benji. We didn't address yeah, it the other day. Ahead. How come 
In these climbing stages, we end up getting breaks comprised of rouleurs and baradeurs rather than the climbers you'd expect. It happened in the break yesterday with just Lafay being perhaps the best climber in Europe. How is Campanas and Nikias aren't and Oliveira making it into the break? It's because there's been so much attacking. Eventually, the break forms on a downhill section. And so it's really where the break forms that defines the composition yep. of the breakaway. And if it's formed on a downhill or a flat section, then that's how we have guys like, who do we have, Benji? Luis Leon Sanchez. Uh, I think it's a pretty strong break, actually. It had Cohen Bowman, was in there. George Bennett, Bouchard. Big contenders were Simon Carr, Ruben Guerrero, Balka Molima. Guerrero and Molima, perhaps the favorites from that break. So pretty strong, to be honest. Stora for DSM, large and George working. Bennett? Together, yeah, he's in the break. But this breakaway did form with those rulers, but also decent climbers. Bouchard, for example, one that won the Vuelta KOM two years ago, 2019, if I recall correctly. So yep. they can definitely do some KOM Kanga. stuff, and that's exactly what he was going for as well. Nicola Ede, good. I know Rubio from Movistar, the Colombian, a threat as well. But it's not a really tough finish to this stage. But the break was looking good. FDJ, I mean, I thought almost doing too good a job pacing at the yep. end, and we'll talk about whether they made a mistake, Benji, at the end of this pod when we've got the hindsight 2020, but they kept this gap stable at 2.30, 2.40, minutes, 10 was the most they sort of let it get to, and no one else was helping them. It was just brake plugging away and FDJ keeping it really, really tight. And we were thinking 45Ks to go. The race situation hasn't really changed. We're at 250. We've got one long climb left, the Ovendoli, 17Ks at 4.5%. And I'm thinking, is uh, Ineos going to start pacing at any point? Do Ineos want to win this stage? They want to care about bringing back the breakaway? And eventually they did start pacing with the break at about 255, three minutes with Puccio. Ghana seemed to not really be there. I couldn't see him. And they had everyone else. And they immediately brought it down to 2.30. And then suddenly the gap started going back out again. It seemed that Puccio's pace was not that strong. And it was Simon Carr attacking Benji with Bouchard from the breakaway on the, they crested the summit of, of Indoli first. And remember, you've got a flatter section of 15Ks before the final climb. Do you think that was a mistake from EF when they had the Ineos pacing behind, numerical advantage to attack with Carr, or do you think they didn't rate Guerrero's legs today? I think that it's a, a bit of a mistake because in this situation, if the gap is so little, because to be honest, at three minutes, I was still thinking Ineos is going gonna, is gonna to bang this up and is going sure. to get back to this group anyway. But I thought that the bigger chance of staying ahead was combining those forces and trying to use one for the other, making sure that the gap from that breakaway to the peloton stays significant. And that action by Carr made it so that in the second group, they started not really working together too well and Guerreros could sit at the end. But then again, I think that using Carr for Guerrero would have been a better option personally. But yeah. eventually, the other way around. to be honest, Bouchard I mean, it, dropped yeah. Carr relatively easily. So yeah. I think that <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered too much either, I think. <laughs> yeah. I know. And so, the thing is... Ineos pacing eventually didn't bring that gap down too much. What did you see from Bahrain? The gap goes back out to 255 with Puccio pacing. Why do you think Trutnik came to the front and started smashing it after that climb? 
to, yeah, I don't, was it for Caruso GC? Was it for stage? What was the explanation? Because he brought that gap back from 250 to 220 with about 17 Ks to go. Well, a bit earlier on the stage, we saw that Caruso was looking really good. He rocketed past people to the breakaway in, in early form, but that breakaway just didn't stick. And the fact that they now missed the breakaway like that, a team like Bahrain was like, yeah, it's pretty essential for a team like that to try and have people ahead because they've got the climbers that can win a stage like this from a breakaway. We've seen it before this week. And in all honesty, I think that it was a bit little too late what they were trying to do there. Caruso is indeed pretty close in GC, but what is Stratnik going to do? He's going to close that a tiny bit, make that gap a bit smaller, and, and then what? Caruso is still going to have to depend fully on what happens from other teams to do something at the end here. And... I don't think that Caruso and Bahrain are the ones that need to set this up personally. I think they missed the train and they were trying to set something up to make that work still. Here's where the race gets really interesting. And as Benji mentions, just Trutnik pulling is not enough. You have about 13 Ks to go. Ineos have a full team. They have disappeared from the front, completely disappeared. We've seen Remco Avenepol in this flatter section move to the front and he's on the front of the peloton benji in the in the malia bianca pacing as if he's trying to get some crosswind action going with almeida and because ineos are at the back there really wasn't any wind i don't think or definitely not a strong enough one and nothing came of it i was thinking is this stage 15 tour de france all over again where ineos were bluffing (laughs) where they came to the front and we're trying to soft pace which they did initially with puccio because bernal's not feeling it and then Quickstep are trying to call that bluff. That's what that happened initially. You see Alperson up there with four riders and teams you don't expect. FDJ back up there again. And this is all good for the breakaway. Cone Bowman, he's chasing after Bouchard quickly with about ooh, 15 Ks to go. And it's at this point in the race that it became clear that Ineos had no interest in trying to make a difference on GC on the... Uh, of Indoli climb. It was not steep enough. All they would have done is just really burnt themselves to help the other teams. Likewise, on the false flat descent section, with maybe a bit of a headwind before the Campo Felice climb, there was they wanted the probably the bonus seconds to be taken, which were at 150Ks done with about 8Ks to go, which they did by the break. And they were like, let's save all our resources for this final 5.5K kick to the line and try and make a difference there and that's what happened five k's to go or six k's to go rather they hit this climb bowman's joining up with bouchard they've still got a healthy gap of two minutes two minutes 20 Ineos start to absolutely smash it on the front bernal's back mustn't have been feeling bad at all or it was just team orders they've got castroviejo uh, martinez had five riders at the front pretty much Narvaez, i always miss him Narvaez first eating into this gap three k's it's at a minute and we've got a 1.5k kicker at the end so it was clear it was great tactics from Ineos, and i was sort of worried that they were gonna let this stage slip through their hands that they could win by not pacing, uh, but it was clear that there was nothing to be gained from pacing earlier, and FDJ did a lot of the work for them. We get onto the gravel section, 1.6Ks to go. Bouchard is pacing. We've come through a long tunnel, and we just see Ineos with uh, Moscon in the wings. Moscon hits the gravel section, Benji, and what did you think would happen there when Moscon started to pace? 
well, the gap to the front riders, the front two riders that were still a bit together there, Bouchard and Bauman, was not exactly large. They, well, <laughs> we, we didn't really have a, a correct feeling of what the gap was at that moment because we just came out of the tunnel and the gaps were kind of broken for a second. But it looked like it was about 35 seconds when the, uh, when the gravel section started. And the way Moscon spread his wings and massacred the first part of that, of that gravel section with Bernal in the wheel was really interesting because the positioning of the people in the group is what makes me intrigued here. We see at roughly 1.1k to go that Remco Evenepoel is in a 15-20th position and Bernal is in second position. So it's definitely not ideal for Remco that he's so far behind. Vlasov also 15th position going into that section. And well, you need to be higher up if you want to be in a good position, a competitive position, if you want to make sure that when someone accelerates from the front, you can somewhat try and follow and that wasn't really the case but the way Moscon hammered it really opened and paved the path for Moscon to first close the gap a tiny bit towards the people ahead of him those two breakaway riders the other people were basically trying to follow what Moscon was doing in that group Bernal was ready Bernal was ready to strike and I think Volta with a good dropping, I think as yeah, well Volta was Volta already dropping through as well Benji a ton of people and the thing was, we saw Remco crawl a bit back because with 800 meters to go, we saw that he was in in seventh, sixth position. So he was re- already getting a bit back, which which was definitely an improvement from 300 meters earlier. So if he did that a bit earlier, then he might not have had to put that effort in at that point. But Remco was relatively close again. Bouchard Bauman was still ahead, but Vlasov was the first man to initiate the act. Like he came off Moscon's pace with the attack which I was surprised by was 500 meters to go, Bernal immediately to his wheel, and then Bernal was like, actually, this pace ain't nearly hot enough. Kicks off his wheel. <laughs> He's got Ciccone on the wheel. Volta's dropped, so we know Malia is probably changing, and the question is, can Remco stay there? And Remco's positioning was really bad. Almeida was looking around to see where is Remco. Ren- Almeida was in good position, and Bernal attacked. He then got to a steeper section on this gravel. He's got Ciccone on the wheel. He, you can see him fiddling with his gears, finally gets it in the right gear. I think he was shifting up, kicks again on the flatter section and just straight up drops Ciccone off the wheel. Nasty stuff from Bernal. Flies past Colin Bowman and Bouchard who joined up together and we're thinking what is this time gap going to be Bernal and he kept, kept kept extending that gap we couldn't see where Remco was he's extending it to Chicone who was on his wheel remember with like 300 meters to go and Bernal out of sight is able to well it doesn't post up he's riding for GC takes a magnificent stage win catching the break in the last 250 meters attacking and gapping all the other GC contenders it's the stage we were hoping for it's We've got to say we won't play the recording. The exact stage we said might happen yesterday on the pod. Um, but here's the top 10 results. Bernal first, Chicone second on seven seconds with Vlasov. Avonapol only on 10 seconds, fourth with Martin fifth, same time. Caruso on 12 seconds with Bardet, Soler, Martinez, Almeida. Formula Carthy, Bookman, Yates, all in that group on the same time. The GC men to lose time, I guess, Nibali, Hindley, Volta, Bilbao, uh, but not really any of the big contenders. Uh, I'll just mention our show partner, Lacole. Had people asking, where can we get the discount for Lacole's kit for the Lantern Roof Cycling Podcast listeners? It's all caps, LRCP20. There's also a Strava challenge at the moment. 
related to the new project Aero McLaren collab that Lacole are doing. You can go to the go to Strava, go to Lacole. They're like a club or an organization on Lacole. And if you record 300 active minutes or complete a 100 mile, 160k ride in under six hours, you go in for a chance for two chances to win the complete Lacole McLaren Project Aero collection. So I'll probably be going in for that once I get to travel on Tuesday. So thanks to Lacole for supporting the podcast. So the big question I have there, Benji, not about Bernal, Avenipol, not a disaster at all. In fact, I think he was gaining time on Bernal in the last 200 metres. I think so as well. I um, I feel like there's probably a lot to say about how Remco wrote this 1.6 kilometres of gravel section because, first of all, what was the reason that he was caught behind? Was it because, for example, he was not positioned properly? Was it because the accelerative move by Moscon was too high for him to be positioning properly? And then a third thing is that there's a rumor that he had a gear problem, but I, I'm not sure about that, so I won't go off that yet. So I think that we need to focus on the first two first. I think that it's a combination of both. I think that he doesn't have the acceleration to follow what Bernal is doing, but he also doesn't necessarily have the positioning experience to put himself in a position to, well, be in the most competitive possible place. And I think a combination of both was what caused Remco to not be at his best in the middle side of the section, but the way Bernal launched and the way Remco, in comparison, was basically doing a more calculated approach to the gravel section, it felt like to me, because Bernal was just flying off and trying to destroy everybody, while Remco seemed like he was passing people left and right to enter that fifth position. So a bit of a different approach from both. I'm really not sure what to think about in terms of what this could mean for Montalcino, for example, because, well, gravel. Montalcino, it's kind of connected, you know? So I think that I'm impressed by what Remco showed today, and I wouldn't write him off for Montalcino yet because a lot of people oh. have been doing so, but I also wouldn't be naming him as the perfect candidate because that positioning is really important on something like Montalcino, and Dad could really bite him in his ass if he doesn't do that correctly. I don't know if I'm impressed. I would say his legs are really good, but the positioning is a problem. Benji, I just saw your yep. tweet. With 1K to go, Remco is, I would say, 20 bike lengths behind Moscon pacing Bernal in a, yep. on a gravel section where it's difficult to move up in a straight line. And you're just putting yourself in such a disadvantage there. And maybe his legs couldn't respond to the harsh accelerations from Moscon and Bernal. Maybe it was positioning. I don't know, because Almeida Benji... He's, he's right next to his almost half-wheeling Bernal, and there's Yates right there. So that's something to watch for Montalcino. That being said, once he has been gapped this first week, Avenipol, he almost claws back the time. And these are short climbs, and he's clawing back the time very quickly. So Montalcino will be interesting to see, okay, say Bernal gets a gap on that 3K 9% section, Benji, can he maintain it? He's going to then have to yep. be TTing head-to-head against Avonapol. Handling will come into it as well. Anal's handling will be really good today, always solid, uh, I generally think. And um, that's why he's now in the Maglia Rosa. Here's the revised GC. Pretty much all the big guns now up there. Bernal first, we're in the Maglia. 15 seconds over Avonapol, 21 seconds ahead of Vlasov. Chicone in fourth. 
36 seconds. Volta drops down to fifth on 43. He did conserve his losses fairly well, Volta. Carthy drops down as well as Caruso to 44 and 45. Martin Yates, the same at 51-55. And Formolo on a minute one. Danny Martinez. Remember, Danny Martinez is only on 112 as this first week is ending. That's a big plus for Ineos, I think, to yes. have him still there. I think they're going to be very happy with that. And I de- I actually personally think that's better than what Sivakov would be on if he hadn't crashed. Moscow on 228. Is Moscow on 228? Because that's that's interesting too, Moscow conserving. So strike for Bernal and Ineos. Who do you think's happier with this first week so far, Ineos or Dukernik Quickstep? I think both should be happy about the week they've ridden. Bernal has been showing some decent form. He's been unable to drop them on the on the proper climb we had, but then again, it wasn't a proper, proper climb yet. So you haven't arrived at the bigger climbs in the third week. And so far, his form has been looking good. If he sticks with that no back pain moment so far, then I do truly believe that he could win this Giro. But Remco Evenepoel is very, very close on 15 seconds, which means that Bernal needs time on Remco in the next two weeks. And I think that the thing that people are saying is he won't hold up in the third week. It's possible. It's completely possible. We just don't know it. And that's where the issue lies here, that Remco should be very happy with the form he showed in the first week. He's in a position that he probably did not 100% expect to be in, I would expect. Going into a Grand Tour with no race days, you probably fear a bit less, but it's it's pretty crazy that he's on second right now and he's showing that he's simply strong on the on the steady climbs the moment that i'm not 100 sure for whether he's going to be perfect is on that um what's it called uh monte zonkulan last three kilometer section very steep yeah, section 12 the problem there is then then i start doubting he he dropped from 75 kilos to 60.5 for this zero which means that he on paper weighs less, which makes him on paper better on steeper gradients. But we know that that is a very big assumption. It's not certain that that is the case. So is that going to help him? Is that not going to help him on paper? I'd expect him to help it to help him, but it depends on what he lost, whether he lost muscle in, in certain areas or it, it's really difficult to to look into this and say, oh, he's going to be better at the last three kilometers on the Montes Ancolan. It's, it's hard to say. So... From the first three riders here in GC, with now Vlasov in third as well, I think Vlasov should also be very happy with the place he is in. He's basically heading towards a podium on Grand Tour if he stays riding like this. He's got a better time trial than quite a few riders around him, except for Evenepoel. So that's definitely helping him as well. And I think that Vlasov is also better on the steadier climbs and on Zonkulan as well. We saw in Angliru last year that that really fits him, the steep part at the end of a climb. And... I think that Vlasov is looking good as well. Then Chicone is a difficult one because the man will attack three climbs from the end in some stages <laughs> and still be able doing. to hang on. <laughs> ah, it's like he started this and he's like, oh, let's just play I, along, will we? <laughs> I think Vlasov too. I think Vlasov deserves a little bit of criticism too. I mean, he's finished yeah. the stage seven seconds back, but he's attacked. And you, we knew if you see Ineos setting up five men like that with five Ks to go to smash it, Bernal is going to attack. Especially, we don't have Rog or Pog here. He's going to attack. He's gonna. They don't just do that for a laugh. Like there's a point to it. And for Vlasov to attack off the Moscon pace, and Vlasov was out of position too when Remco was out of position with the K to go. So he made up a lot of wheels 
presumably costing a lot of energy. I think if he follows Bernal's attack or tries to, I think maybe he finishes a bit closer today and he'd be a bit closer to Bernal and GC. What I think Ineos should be really hope like taking a lot of heart from is they don't do, need to do anything crazy to win this year at Italia Benji. They're already got 15 seconds. They took 20 seconds out of even the pole today on GC. Conservatively, they'd probably want to sleep really easy. Surely 245 in the last TT is enough. I mean, after last year, who knows? But 245 is enough. I mean, what Bernal has the big advantage over Avenapol seems to be the accelerations in the last 800 meters, and then able to get being able to get those bonus seconds, kind of like a Roglic strategy. Take 10 yeah, seconds on the road. 10 seconds on the road, it's... 10 seconds for the win, and maybe some bonus seconds. If you add them up and keep doing that in stages and maybe a bit more on Zonklin, a little bit of a gap here, gap there, you quickly have a lot of time on GC, Benji, and now the ball will be in Avenapol's court. So, so do you think Ineos are going to really have to say, oh, we need to, you know, on the stage 17 or something, Alpemira really try and put a minute into Avenapol? Or do you think they can just play a battle of attrition now? It really depends on how the, the second week goes because we're talking now about an all-out strategy for the next two weeks, but I think that the second week will very heavily influence what will happen in the third week. And, for example, we could see that Avenapol falls apart on the Montalcino section. It's, it's entirely possible. And if that's the case, then they don't need to gain 1 minute 30 on their competitors because now they kind of need to do so for Avenapool because the stamp troll is just miles ahead. So it's it depends on which competition is behind them and how close they are by the time they are at the end of the second week. I don't necessarily think that, that anyone will directly steal Bernal's thing jersey in the second week, though, because it surprised me. It would really surprise me. I think that... Bernal has been showing strength on all terrains, all kinds of terrains. He's better on those transitioning stages with his entire team because those generally fit him a lot. And for example, stage 12 is also a semi-transitioning stage. Ineos should be really strong there, could really push something on the last hill again, and they could easily gain another 10 seconds on other people. So I think that there's a lot of good stages on the second week that could play into that. And I think the moment that Zonkulon happens, we will, we will start seeing what they should do in the third week. Because saying that beforehand might be completely worthless by the time we start the third week stages. That's how I view what Bernal should be taking care of. I think that, honestly, they're very close when it comes to the Strava sections uh, on uh, on Montalcino. I think Sivakov was fourth in that, so that's a big loss for the team, though. It's very unfortunate that he couldn't uh, spread those uh, gravel wings that he apparently is pretty good at. It's very interesting to see who did the recons and who didn't do the recons for Montalcino. We'll talk about it a bit more, I think, the day before Montalcino happens. But I think that Montalcino could either be an entirely overrated stage by everybody or it could be really impressive. I think it's going to be very important because it's not just this was so. a one this was a 1.6k gravel section montalcino is not yeah. a tokenistic gravel section 35ks of strata in the last 70ks with steep climbs i think no. i don't think i don't think ineos should do uh 10 seconds here 15 seconds there is their main goal if that's what happens that's fine i think their overall philosophy of if we have the the numbers if bernal has the legs even if he if his back doesn't feel bad we try. If Remco just has Almeida, we test him out. And I think just keep doing that. If you feel good, try. And you've got the team to do it. And 
they weren't really worrying about the break. Sure, he got the stage win. I don't think this was some master plan for Ineos to calculate the time gaps to the stage, to the break perfectly. As I said, I think they were just like, we keep the riders and the team together for the final climb. We hit it, and Bernal again tries to hit the uh, other GC contenders, and if he gets the stage, that's great, uh, but try and get time on the road, and I think they're just going to keep doing that whenever he feels good, and hopefully his back holds up. But what a stage, Benji. My favourite stage of the Shira d'Italia so far because I thought, oh, it's going to be another break. We're going to get GC action. Yeah. Ineos are not pacing, then they're pacing. Is it your favourite so far? It's definitely the one that sticks out in my mind the most, perhaps because of that gravel section. I did really enjoy it. I'm not sure that's my favorite. I think I need to look back a bit because uh, by the time we reached my stage, I, I forgot everything that happened in stage one to eight, mate. My memory is not that great. But one thing I didn't forget was uh, something that happened on one of the uh, earlier descents in today's stage. Oh, we yes. said that there was a bit of a, an important move with Caruso in the breakaway, also with Mader in the breakaway, and they had a teammate, Mohoric, in that group. And we went into a descent with Mader doing the front portion of the descending. So... I don't know what the reasoning behind it is. Maybe it's because they want to do a tempo that the others can follow instead of Mohoric just smashing everybody to bits in the descent. But Mohoric was in second wheel, and it looks like he was hitting a bit of a, a not amazing section of road furniture. No, road surface, not furniture. There was no road furniture in the descent. Road surface in a in a corner in that descent while he was taking it in the apex. And, well, he ended up... It looked... His front wheel got locked, and... That caused him to go straight over the front of a steer, and he ended up landing with his head onto the floor and then rolling a bit to the side as well. His bike broke into really crazy crash. Genuinely, if you if it's on Twitter or something, just don't Super watch it. Scary. I'd say because I, I didn't enjoy the experience. Not gonna lie, and I didn't enjoy the three replays we got after it. And uh, he's unfortunately, okay, um. Yeah, that that's the the amazing part of it. He got a concussion, though, according to the reports, which is relatively obvious. And it's up to the rider to say, oh, no, I need a concussion test. It's a bit weird. Maybe there should be a system where the race radio actually describes how the crash happened or like, or like gives like a little note, concussion test, whatever. I don't know how it works, but I feel like that would probably improve the chances of him not getting a bike in that situation because... It looked a bit it looked a bit silly to be honest and he had to sit down and eventually we saw that he was brought away with, with the ambulance so uh I'm glad he's relatively okay concussion is not horrendous but it could be bad so it's good that it's looked after immediately and I hope that we see him back in action soon but it unfortunately won't be uh, in this Giro which is sad because I I looked forward to seeing him in that Slovenia stage in the coming yeah, week Yeah definitely that's a shame for him, but thankfully he seems to be okay and he was wanting to call his family straight away. But tomorrow's stage, just quickly, L'Aquila to Foligno, 148 Ks. There's a climb at the start for a break, 6 Ks, 4.2%. Then the Valico de la Soma, 6.8 Ks, 5%, which crests 40 Ks from the finish. And then a flat run-in at the finish. This is clearly not a GC day at all. The question is, can the break be controlled? By the sprinters teams and or will Bora and co try and drop some of the other right sprinters on that climb bearing in mind that Ewan's been abandoned 
how do you see tomorrow's stage, Benji, before we go back for some more GC discussion? Looks like Nitsolo or Sagan time to me. It's got a few hills in there, certainly, but are they hard enough for Bora to pull through on that Valico de la Soma, for example? I don't think I think so. that it could do damage. It's very short afterwards. That's the thing. 30 kilometers of flatness after that descent. That's, uh, that's what shouts something at me, but we've seen that Gavidia gets good over climbs, Viviani gets good over climbs. Now that Ewan is not here, I think that we might see a rather surprising finisher. I think that Merlier has shown severe issues on climbing sections. Is that going to be troublesome on this climb? Uh, it, it could drop him for a bit, but the entire Alpacin team will be there to support him and bring him back. So is that going to be a, a problem? I'm not necessarily thinking so. I think we're, just, we're likely going to see a sprint between the likes of Merlier still and Viviani. And I think that looking at how the finish looks on the map, it's going into Foligno. It's not necessarily the craziest technical one, but I'm not 100% sure of that. But if that's the case, then I'm going to go wild and I'm going to say Viviani for this one. I just, I just feel like, <laughs> yeah. That's a good call. No, no, I agree. Viviani's still quick. Look, he's climbing fine. I'm going to go with Nitsolo again. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> he's going to hit second, to... mate. Let's be real. Well, <laughs> the thing is, there's a collection of, it's like three climbs in a row, 3Ks, 3.7%, 6Ks, 4%, then 7Ks, 5%. That's where the attrition might be a problem. Chimalize looked really good. Probably the best climber of those guys. Nitsolo didn't look good at the finish. The other day, I don't really have a strong view on it, to be honest. I'd have to see the odds to really form a view. So it could be any of Chimelay, Merlier, Gavidia, uh, Sagan, Nitsolo, Viviani. It just really depends on how the stage is ridden and the wind on those climbs and whether Bora want to take it up. I think Gronovegan could be in trouble, and that's why I don't really like him for it at the moment. And Ewan may have been. But that's tomorrow's stage, probably a bang-on sprint stage. I think my last point before we sign off is did FDJ cost Volta the Malia Rosa by pacing the break too hard worrying about Guerrero no I don't think so for the reasons we discussed about Ineos wanting to pace hard on that final climb independent of the breakaway they weren't focused on the break and I think Ineos were going to do that anyway which meant Volta was probably dropping so I don't think if FTJ cost him the jersey, although they did keep that break a little bit too tight. Something to think about, which maybe you won't see other teams doing in the future or a more experienced GC team. But a great stage, and we can't wait to recap the stage tomorrow, the last one before the rest day, and then I fly overseas on Tuesday, Benji Manning before then. But Giro d'Italia is heating up. We're excited, and uh, you can probably hear it from us. If you want to like the video down below, it helps us out a lot if you enjoyed this recap as well as giving us a review on podcast players if, if that's where you listen. But until then, ciao.